You are listening to the 36th episode of Dave's Daredevil Podcast, in which the man without fear gets a hand from a pair of guest stars in the form of Power Man and Iron Fist. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. I am J. David Weeder, but you can call me Dave. This show is all about Daredevil, Marvel's Man Without Fear, and the comics he inhabits. This week is absolutely no exception, as I'll be looking at Daredevil number 178, another installment in our Frank Miller read-through. I don't have a lot for preamble this week, because I'm ready to jump right into the comic, but a couple of things of note. First off, last week's Batman episode went out without the opening music. I have since corrected that because, well, I worked for a while on that opening gag. So I'm not asking that you download it again, just give it a stream or something like that, hear the opening. A couple of other editing gaffes I caught. I referred to Daredevil as Batman and vice versa occasionally. You can also, every now and then, hear my dog snoring in the background. My microphone settings were a little off, so it was catching a lot of background noise, and for that I apologize. Also... I was on Trentus Magnus Punches Reality episode 50, which is now available at the Two True Freaks Network. In it, Magnus had quite a few guests talking about 50th issues of various comics. My choice was... Starman. I know what you're thinking. Dave, why not Daredevil? Well, the fact is the 50th issues of Daredevil in any volume were not that stellar. And Starman number 50 really started another layer to that overall story. So, it made perfect sense to me. But Trent's episode is over three hours. It is epic, epicness. But be careful when listening. It may cause your ovaries to start ovulating. So His Excellency had me on, and I appreciate it. Thank you very much, Mr. Trentus Magnus. Alternately in this episode, you may occasionally hear a firework or two, a pop in the background. My neighbor doesn't seem to realize that it's not July 4th yet, nor is it evening time, the traditional time to set off fireworks for visual flair. So they are starting early afternoon and don't we appreciate that now i suddenly feel like i need to run kids off my lawn again let's move away from that and look at the cover for daredevil number 178 the january 1982 issue on the cover daredevil stands against a blue background with the rings of his radar sense emanating out from him and wisps of white that look like snowflakes falling from above two silhouettes which may be familiar to marvel fans stand near daredevil On either side, one in front taking a martial arts stance, the other behind Daredevil with arms raised in the air. Who are they? Well, the trade dress is going to solve that mystery because it's amended to read Daredevil meets Power Man and Iron Fist. So looking at this cover, the main thing that stands out to me is the vibrant colors. They bring this sort of temperature idea, like a thermal scanner. If this was sitting on the rack next to most of the contemporary comics at the time, the colors would grab you immediately. They pop right off the page, and they are gorgeous. The composition of the image itself is nice, too. Daredevil's in the center. We see him fully. Everything else is sort of in silhouette form. His radar rings then emanate off of him. What this does is creates an image that, even though it's technically off-balance with the figures and the way they stand, it creates a sort of symmetry. It draws your eye to the center to Daredevil, and then you follow the rings out. 
Almost like you're discovering the cover as Daredevil is. Now one complaint I will say is the silhouettes aren't that clear. They're not that distinctive. You can't glance at it and realize this is Iron Fist and Luke Cage. So who are Power Man and Iron Fist? I'm going to confess up front, I am not a foremost authority on these characters. I've read a lot of their latter day adventures, specifically Iron Fist, who's currently starring in his own comic, Iron Fist the Living Weapon, which is really excellent. But as far as who they were at this stage, to give you a little bit of a primer of sorts, Power Man is actually Luke Cage, or originally Carl Lucas. He made his debut in Hero for Hire number 1 in 1972, and Lucas was actually wrongly sent to prison for a crime he did not commit. While there, looking to shave some time off of his prison stay, he volunteered for an experiment that was meant to create immunity to diseases. But a treacherous prison guard wanting revenge on Lucas decided to tamper with it, and what resulted was Cage got impenetrable skin and super strength. This allowed him to escape prison, go into the underground and assume the name Luke Cage, and start taking gigs as far as being a superhero for hire, hence the title. Iron Fist is actually Danny Rand. He made his debut in Marvel premiere number 15 in 1974. While he and his wealthy parents were searching for the mythical city of Kunlun, and I'm pretty certain I'm saying that wrong, forgiveness please, Danny was orphaned pretty quickly thanks to a pack of wolves. Danny lived and found the city where he went to train under the tutelage of the Thunderer, and then defeated the dragon Shao Lao. And the dragon's molten heart gave Danny fists of, well, essentially density of iron. Get it? Iron fist. So he's a master of the martial arts, and he has fists that are as hard as metal. Now, Iron Fist rolled into his own solo series that ran for 15 issues, but never really caught on. Likewise, Luke Cage's Hero for Hire was sort of stumbling a bit sales-wise. So, with these two moderately selling books, Iron Fist was rolled into Cage's book, and it was retitled Power Man and Iron Fist. This was a series that was still running concurrently with this issue of Daredevil. In fact, issue 77 of that series hit the same month as Daredevil number 178. To do a little bit of catch-up before we go to a promo break and then dive into the book, Elektra is still in New York, having defeated the Hand at their own sanctum, but Kingpin has taken notice of her handiwork and is seeking her out. An explosion had knocked out Daredevil's radar sense, but he worked with his sensei, Stick, to regain that sense and is now back in great shape. As Matt Murdock, he's working on a law case in which J. Jonah Jameson in the Daily Bugle is being sued by a prominent politician named Randolph Cherry because the Bugle ran a story tying Cherry to organized crime. And that is where we will pick up right after this promo for Superman in the Bronze Age, a show I'm a little bit partial to. So I will be right back after Charlie Niemeyer regales you with Bronze Age Superman awesomeness. started in November 2010, when one guy decided it was time to show the denizens of the internet that there was more to Superman's adventures from the 70s and early 80s than Alan Moore and Kryptonite Nevermore. Now, three and a half years later, that mission continues. This is Superman, Superman in the, the Bronze, Bronze Age. Age. 
My name is Charlie Niemeyer, and every week I shine the spotlight on this long-overlooked era on Superman in the Bronze Age. Join in the fun at www.supermaninthebronzeage.com and www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And we have returned to cover Daredevil number 178. This is the January 1982 issue. The story inside is entitled Paper Chase. Written and penciled by Frank Miller, inked by Klaus Janssen, lettered by Joseph Rosen, and colored by Glennis Ween. As usual, if you're reading along, this can be found in Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller Volume 2 trade paperback, Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Omnibus, The Essential Power Man and Iron Fist Volume 2, and of course, Comixology, Marvel Digital, and Marvel Digital Unlimited. And jumping into the story, Elektra returns to her hotel room frustrated that she just cannot leave New York until her work is finished with Matt Murdock. But she detects others hidden in the shadows and draws her sigh to strike the first blow on a group of mafia muscle. Once one is revealed, the others rush Elektra, but as is expected, they fall to the silver blades of her side. What isn't expected is a note left behind by none other than the Kingpin, who invites her to meet with him to discuss an employment opportunity. The next morning, a restored and recovered Daredevil leaps along rooftops on his way to work as Matt Murdock. At the same time, the Kingpin himself meets with Randolph Cherry to discuss the ongoing lawsuit against the Daily Bugle and the theft of contribution checks to Cherry's campaign. Checks that were stolen by a young man by the name of Sheldon, all of which have Fisk's signature on them. A bit later that day, Sheldon meets with Matt, Foggy, and Jolly Jonah Jameson to sell said checks, which would be, of course, the damning evidence against Cherry. But a trio of ridiculously over-the-top mafia goons arrive at the office claiming to be truant officers. Matt knows these aren't truant officers, but they are there for Sheldon, so he feigns clumsiness to stymie them long enough for Sheldon to get away. This also allows Matt to slip out his daredevil and scare the goons off. But instead of gratitude, Sheldon literally bites the hand that saved him and runs off. Stopping there to look back at what we're reading, the attack on Elektra in the hotel room is by the numbers. Multiple goons, she kills them all with ease, throws one of them out a window. Again, you've heard my treaties on tempered glass windows and skyscrapers. Once you've said it, it's done. But I will say this, shouldn't the hotel notice busted windows? This is two that she's thrown somebody out of. First one being Daredevil, which caught himself. This one's probably going to leave a body on the street. Maybe there's a scene missing here where Elektra argues her bill, you know, broken windows, spectrovision. Oh yeah, Elektra loves spectrovision. But in seriousness, there is a great single panel of Elektra in the aftermath of this little foray into violence, and it's colored in nothing but blacks and reds, with the single exception being the yellow note. Not only does it make that note stand out, it gives Elektra this moment of poise to reflect on the fact that she just slaughtered four people. And her day hasn't even started. She hasn't even had her morning bagel. It's a beautifully rendered shot of a moment of reflection as everything is cast in very straightforward, simple colors, which is kind of how Electra would see this. If you and I accidentally killed somebody, or purposefully, I guess, we would have a moment of regret. It would bother us because we don't normally kill people. At least I hope we don't. For Electra, this is Monday. Business as usual. I'm very thankful they didn't use the black and white motif, but the black and red definitely sells this idea. 
because not only is it stoic, red is the color of blood. And of course, we're going to look more at the job opportunity from the Kingpin in later issues. But jumping into the next leg of the story, it opens with this great, great two-panel spread. Once again, very Will Eisner of Daredevil running across a line. The city looks a little bit more cartoony. The credits are once again in papers blowing up from the ground. Remember the title of the story is Paper Chase. See what they did there? But it definitely gives you this bounding, swashbuckling feel. Not the dark and gritty, grim Avenger that you would expect from this era. Now sure, Miller does some grim and gritty stuff. However, he does a lot of fun things. Like this panel, and then there's another panel where Daredevil's leaping, flipping, his radar sense emanating from his head, and the background is in only silhouette with sort of a dark purple for the buildings and a magenta for the sky, just for differentiation. So we kind of see for one brief moment what it looks like from Matt's point of view, which is in a nice contrast to that red and black panel of Electra. They're occupying two different ends of the spectrum at the moment. Matt's feeling pretty happy, pretty confident. Electra is not so much. Daredevil mentions getting a bagel at Kujava's Bakery. I was not able to track down if there was actually a bakery. The only thing I found was Susan Kujava of General Mills. They bake things, but I think that's a stretch at best. And then, of course, we have the cherry situation, which is going to be driving a few things going forward. I took a look at the political landscape of 1981 New York. That year was Ed Koch running for his second term. Now, the best of my knowledge, Ed Koch was accused of a few things but nothing resembling mob ties. So I'm not sure what Cherry's supposed to be an allegory for, if anything. But the unique spelling of the name, which is C-H-E-R-R-Y-H, may, and this is speculation, so take it as such, may have been inspired by fantasy novelist C.J. Cherry. She originally had her name spelled just like the fruit, but the H was added for drama. That's the only Cherry I was able to find. I don't know what, if any, relationship Frank Miller would have with her, or if he's a fan. Again, speculation. And this issue seems to be on point with the little details. For example, in the office where Sheldon is smoking a cigarette and J. Jonah Jameson is smoking his famous cigar, Matt reacts to the smoke. It's not made the centerpiece of the shot, it's very subtle. But it would make sense that Matt's hypersenses would not react well to cigarette and cigar smoke. I mentioned the over-the-top goons. I'm relatively certain that this is Keith Richards, Mick Jagger, and Ron Wood from the Rolling Stones. If you're facing the panel, Mick would be on the left with Ron in the center and Keith on the right. It's possible Miller had some Rolling Stones pictures in his swipe file just for fun. He's definitely not above putting in Easter eggs in his stories. Remember that we saw a Superman costume in the background of, of last issue. Speaking of Superman, that segues into a perfect Clark Kent sequence where Matt is acting clumsy accidentally, quote-unquote, tripping the goons with his cane, allowing Sheldon to run off, and then letting all the papers in his briefcase fly out. It's truly excellent, and then it leads to Matt leaping out of a window, dropping down in his Daredevil costume past wide, big office window, so people are looking in astonishment. It's a great, great shot. It's a lot of fun. That word's going to be kind of important this week. Because really, looking at the Frank Miller run, I was surprised at how not dark and gritty it was. Certainly, it's a urban Avenger tale. It has some dark elements, some very, very dark moments, but it never succumbs to what I saw as dark and gritty, especially in the late 80s and early 90s where there was no happiness at all in some comics. It was just things get worse and worse and worse. It was depressing. Here, there seems to be a good balance of fun storytelling and some very serious topics. We're dealing with a political and mafia axis in this, in this issue, which is kind of a heady adult topic for a what's considered a child's book. But I think lobbying dark and gritty against this run proper is not accurate. 
It's a misconception made by Miller's latter-day works. For example, Born Again. But Born Again served a certain purpose, which we're going to be looking at in October. To kind of button that point, we have a scene where Matt drops down on the streets. He doesn't have to throw a punch. The Rolling Stones mafia goons bristle up like they're going to fight him, and then with one simple smile from Daredevil, they simply decide, nah, maybe another day and run off. Which had me laughing. And then Sheldon bites Daredevil's hand and runs off. He literally bites the hand that saves him. Kids these days. They just don't know proper respect, do they? Hold on a moment. I gotta tell somebody to get off my lawn. I'm just kidding. Actually, what we're gonna do is take a look at the next leg of the story. Worried about Matt's safety, Foggy seeks out the heroes for hire, green and yellow clad master of the martial arts Iron Fist, and the invincible titan of strength Power Man, aka Luke Cage. The two heroes are in a bit of a financial bind, and their boss, attorney Jaron Hogarth, is getting impatient with their lack of profit in his pocket. So they take Foggy's offer to protect Matt because a job is a job, and Foggy helps himself to their last slice of pizza. Later that night, Matt is working late when he is accosted by several of Kingpin's heavies, lackeys that don't seem to know the meaning of discretion, because they're basically spilling all the secrets they can. But on cue, Foggy arrives with the hired heroes to witness this, and they spring into action wrecking the goons, but also wrecking Matt's office in the process. Sadly, that also includes the tape recorder Matt had captured the very incriminating things the gunmen were saying. Matt is not happy, and he bristles at the idea that Foggy has him under protection. Things get worse when Matt heads to the courtroom the next day with his very noticeable costumed bodyguards. Turns out, Jaron Hogarth is the prosecutor that Matt was facing, which gets used against the blind attorney, making the case even harder. Needing to slip away and suit up as Daredevil, Matt uses an elevator shaft to get out of their watchful eyes. However, this leads Power Man and Iron Fist to believe that Matt Murdock has been kidnapped. So they head to Cherry's office to accuse him of kidnapping Murdock, but their good cop, bad cop routine doesn't phase the councilman. However, right after they leave, Cherry gets a call. Somebody wants jewels, and they want them handed over at the large parade the next day. Cherry says that he will be there with the jewels, while Daredevil, on the ledge outside the office, states that he will be there as well. You know... When listening to Hey Kids comics recently, I learned that Luke Cage once stole the Fantastic Four's plane and flew to Latveria to get $200 back from Doctor Doom. And yet here he's a little iffy about doing a bodyguard gig. A job is a job. But then again, it's been a few years and Cage is trying the higher path than invading foreign countries over two bills. And while I'm not too big on Luke Cage's costume beyond the headband, Iron Fist has a costume that is cool despite itself. Green and yellow are not two colors that normally scream superhero. And yet the distinctive karate gi design and mask really do sell it. The tattoo is kind of a big thing. And it's weird to say that this costume is cool since he is wearing slippers. But that's my two cents. The goons that raid Matt's office had me thinking of the weasels from Roger Rabbit. And they are about to spill everything. They're about to admit to the kingpin is behind it, that Cherry's connected to it. The whole nine yards. The level of failure on these guards is simply exceptional. But the issue really hits a high point when Power Man and Iron Fist enter the office. And there's a two-panel sequence in which you see guns drawn. And the next panel is Luke and Danny opening up their coats to reveal their costumes. There's no question that this is going down. And the fight itself serves as a nice primer on Power Man and Iron Fist, showing Iron Fist's prowess in the martial arts realm and Luke Cage's invincibility. 
but the match ends with all the incriminating things that the goons were saying destroyed. And Matt kind of reacts very rudely. Granted, as Daredevil, he was not going to have an issue with these goons, but realistically, if he was recording and planning on a beatdown afterwards, that was going to be a little harder to explain. So I'm not sure what Matt had in mind, but certainly Power Man and Iron Fist were not part of that plan. Certainly, it's hard to lose that much evidence. I get it. But he's still rude because he's still operating as Matt Murdock and not Daredevil. The secret identity is intact. As such, Matt Murdock, to the public eye, would be very defenseless against a few people with guns. It's hard to dodge a bullet when you can't see the gun. But moving into the courtroom where Jaren is revealed as the prosecutor, wonderful touch. This is a great way to tie a supporting character from another book into the ongoing story. Especially since that book's inhabitants are guest starring in the issue. Miller's art seems to be more on point. Beginning with that two-page splash of Daredevil running across the wire. And including a great still shot of Matt's face with the radar sense emanating from it. There seems to be a lot of detail in this issue. And Miller's style is really starting to show the more rigid, squared corners and stylized body styles. And you know, not for nothing, I know this is not the most constructive thing I can say. There's not a lot of depth to this, but I'll be honest. Daredevil going down the elevator shaft is awesome. And expertly crafted, expertly drawn. As are the art and colors on the final panel, when Daredevil's sitting out the ledge listening to Cherry, something really elevates that. And I think it's the use of shadows, the way the blinds hit on the ledge, and the way Daredevil has sort of a diffused outline. It looks very, very distinctive. There are several panels here and there where the art just leaps ahead. This is definitely one of them. But now we have a parade. We have a handoff that's going to occur. Matt Murdock is feared kidnapped, so the heroes for hire are hunting him. Daredevil's hunting Cherry and Sheldon. How does this play out, you ask? That's what we're going to find out right now. The next day, at the very large, well-attended parade, Power Man and Iron Fist watch as Cherry rides in an antique car. As planned, Cherry stops to throw candy to the children, but when he tries to slip Sheldon a bag of jewels in exchange for the checks, a small child grabs the valuable bag. That is when things get cray-cray. Sheldon chases the kid into the crowd as Power Man and Iron Fist spot Matt. Our horned hero is able to slip into a dark alley and change into Daredevil, but has to contend with the powerful moves of Iron Fist as Sheldon finds the kid has already swallowed the jewels. But Sheldon notices Turk and Grotto, who are working as Cherry's goons, on his trail and climbs on a giant Kermit the Frog balloon. Unfortunately, Turk and Grotto follow Sheldon. Matt gets out of his fight with Iron Fist and gets to a high perch as ticker tape rains down from above, jamming his radar sense. He is able to spot Sheldon and the goons on the balloon and drops down into the center, sending the others shooting into the air. Never fears our sturdy friend Luke Cage catches Sheldon who pleads that he only stole the letters to get money to save his sick sister. Unfortunately, the jewels are now gone and so are the checks. The linchpin of Matt and Foggy's case. Back to square one on the legal front. However, the issue doesn't end there. At Fisk Tower late that same night, Elektra stabs her way through the security staff to make her way to Fisk's office. And when she makes it to the big guy, he simply tells her to have a seat. They have much to discuss. So at the end of the issue, looking back at this section, the parade in question, presumably it's the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. Of course, Thanksgiving is usually the third Thursday of every November. That would put this in late November. However, election season is normally early November. It's not the biggest discrepancy you'll ever see in a comic, 
because there is a reference to the fact that, well, it's November. Of course, we have Turk and Grotto and clown gear, just as ridiculous as always. When you need hired help that's just completely inept, look no further than Turk and Grotto. I think it would be great if Turk and Grotto actually started their own business, inspired by Power Man and Iron Fist, to be henchmen for hire, and we could just follow their wacky escapades. I would probably buy that comic. As Luke and Danny are in the crowd, people begin to recognize them. A girl asks Luke, aren't you? And he's like, yes, I am. Danny, on the other hand, shuns the spotlight a bit when a girl asks him, so he simply says no. Probably because she's going to ask if he's green Spider-Man. Now, in terms of Daredevil and Iron Fist, when it comes down to their fight, which is greatly illustrated, a lot of great poses, it never gets boring, even though it runs across the better part of two pages. But it turns out, even though Matt hasn't gone to the mythical city of Kunlun, he still possesses the prowess to out-dodge Danny. And I think it's great that we see this here because Iron Fist is going to go on to be, to put it simply, a very good, good ally. Down the road, eventually we'll cover this, he does something for Matt that is above and beyond what a superhero ally could ask for another. And within the art, we have a panel of Daredevil diving down. And like the silhouette panel I mentioned at the beginning of the book, where the background is simply in radar mode, we have a nice bookend here. What a great climax, to be honest with you. It's kind of a perfect storm. We have a lot of ticker tape. We have a huge crowd. We have floats. I can see where it would be a challenge for Matt to get a grip. Lots of chaos. And you know what? Again, in a word, fun. Until we get to poor Sheldon. Because it turns out he's not a bad guy. He just wants to help his sick sister. Too bad we never really find out if she got her operation. At least not in this book that I can recall. Having said I cannot recall, there may come a day when it's like, Oh, look, Sheldon and his sister. But now, the legal side of things, which I like when they include that aspect of Daredevil, suffers a setback, which is going to push things in different directions. While this was a comical bit, it still manages to further the overall story a bit. It's a bit of an interlude of sorts, but not completely off-topic. And of course, we get more on that with Elektra and the Kingpin. The blade is getting sharper. These two uh, teaming up? It will be interesting. But more on that next week. So the final verdict on Daredevil number 178 it was a fun issue. It touched a bit on the subplots, but allowed itself to be somewhat of a standalone story as well. You could pick it up off the rack and read a somewhat self-contained story sandwiched between two Electra scenes at the beginning and end. Forget the dark and gritty aspect that you have of the, at least most of this run. There's a lot of fun to be had with these Daredevil comics. That's not to say it shies away from being adult in some ways or mature, without being an R-rated book, but it allows the book to have different moods, which life does. Sure, the political aspect seems a little bit more adult, mature content, not necessarily something that would cater to kids, but Daredevil's had politics in his comics before. Remember, Foggy ran for the district attorney. So final summation, a good breather issue, extremely entertaining, and the art and layouts were on point. This is simply a good all-round comic. It doesn't break the mold, it's not the most phenomenal issue ever printed, but darn it, I had a blast reading it. So that is that for Daredevil number 178, which means it is time for your emails. Okay, got a pair of emails this week. As always, you can drop a line to the show at the email address dave at daredevilpodcast.com. 
or use the email the show page on daredevilpodcast.com to use the contact form. The first email this week is from Eric Von Royer, subject line Daredevil's Demon. And Eric writes, Dear Dauntless Dave, Alas, I must apologize for the title of my last email. I made it about the Punisher because I was poking a little fun at how the teaser for one of the Daredevils you had covered mentioned Punisher being in the next issue, and then he wasn't. So I made the subject about Punisher and then didn't mention him. This time I do intend to talk about what is in the subject line. In Daredevil number 177, there was something that caught my attention about the demon. The form he takes is very unnerving looking and probably chose to look that way to throw Matt off guard. There is one feature that really struck me about it, that is the demon has seven eyes. It's as if it is mocking his lack of sight. Make of that what you will, Eric Von Royer. And you know... I was convinced when reading this email that I had mentioned something about the multiple eyes. I was absolutely certain. And then realized, no, it's not even in my notes. So the multiple eyes are mocking Matt's lack of sight. I get that. But why the number seven? Perhaps the seven deadly sins? I'm not sure. That's something very intriguing, to be honest with you. Maybe it was the seven years up to the point that Matt made the promise to his dad. The seven years he was able to be a regular kid without his dad pushing him to study without being bullied. I'm going to leave that open to interpretation just to put that on the floor because I think it's something worth mulling over. And I don't have a definitive answer for that. But I will say, Eric, you don't need to apologize for making what's actually a good joke just because I was in a dense mood that day and didn't get it. That is completely on me. Sometimes I have days where I'm just dumb. Now that you point out the joke, not only do I feel ridiculous for not catching it, I think it's hilarious. Thank you for your email. Definitely something to mull on with that demon. The next email is from Huey, with the subject line, Daredevil TV Show. Huey writes, Hi Dave, what stories would you like to see adapted in the Netflix show? I would like to see Born Again, Daredevil as Kingpin, and Daredevil in Prison, as I think these stories are dense enough to serve as season-long arcs. Also, I think linking the Born Again storyline in closer proximity to the prison arc would be more dramatic. Thank you for your time, Huey. First off, thank you for your time in writing in this email. You know, I read this and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And I would really like them to make an original story that takes little pieces of of, of the history. So to take a a new template out of some old stuff. It's kind of a cop-out to say I wouldn't want them to really cover one specific storyline because I've read those storylines, or could read them. So I'd rather, at least if it's only going to be the one season, that they do their own thing. There's the caveat. In the first season, establish a lot of things. I don't want them to do Born Again in the first season, or Daredevil in Prison, or Daredevil as a Kingpin, because those are progressive stories. They're built on the original past of the character. However, I do think you could take Born Again and the Daredevil in Prison arc and truly make a solid season, tie those two together and make an amalgam. That's assuming they make more than one season, which I'm kind of intrigued to know exactly what their plan is. I know we get Daredevil, aka Jessica Jones, Power Man, Iron Fist, and then the Defenders. I don't know exactly what the time frame is for all of these series to progress, if they're going to come out somewhat simultaneously or overlap in time. But certainly I hope the show does get a lot of critical ravings and I hope it gets a lot of views at least enough to make a second season and then progress into some more specific storylines so first season wow me make something original out of stuff that's been presented before second third season play with some of the more traditional storylines but again thank you for your email and thank you Eric Von Royer for writing in that is it for Dave's Daredevil podcast episode 36 next week 
Ben Yurick is on the story. He's hunting Cherry, and it's a hunt that could well get him killed. So be back in seven days for Daredevil number 179. Until then, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. He is the one they call a man without fear. Never far away whenever danger is near. Daredevil fight for what is right. Daredevil fight for you tonight. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. The show can be subscribed to via the RSS link, iTunes and other podcatchers, or streaming on the Stitcher app, giving you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted through the contact form on the website or directly with the address dave at daredevilpodcast.com. The show is all over social media. On Facebook, you can find it by searching Dave's Daredevil Podcast, on Twitter with the username at Dave Weeder, and on Tumblr at daredevilpodcast.tumblr.com. Daredevil and related characters are copyright Marvel Comics, and any sound clips or music are for entertainment purposes only. This podcast does not make any money on these elements and is simply made for entertainment. All copyrights lie with the copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. I am Dave, and thank you for listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Oh, wow.